0: Hello and welcome to another episode of our Brother's Creed podcast. We're talking about motivation, experiences,
1: and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers. I'm Ethan. And I'm Jared. And today we're talking about interesting technologies that have been lost to time. Or, uh, uh, And we've each got two that we're going to share um, of, of interesting things that maybe technologies that uh, are, are awesome but are no longer used for some reason. And so we're going to share these stories and... Uh, and think about what the world would be like if we had these technologies. Yeah, <laughs> some uh, forgotten tech. That's right. You know?
0: Whether it's uh, whether it was forgot how to do it, or if it's not really applicable anymore. to yeah. to, to, to to how we live. So yeah. it's gonna be a good one. Let's get into
1: it. Let's do it. Spartans, what is your profession? Any man who must say I am the king is
0: no true king. What I do have. I have a very particular set of skills. Skills that make me a nightmare.
1: If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! Let us all unite! Let us fight for a new world, a decent world.
0: All right, so the first uh, uh, forgotten tech that I'm going to talk about is... um, I'll start off the question okay <laughs> why haven't we ever been back to the moon
1: <laughs> I knew you're gonna I'm glad you could this one <laughs> um because they forgot they erased all the tapes they they recorded family home they family home <laughs> videos over the ta- re- over the tapes <laughs> <laughs> they
0: recorded over the tapes. yeah so that's one thing we're gonna talk about that uh so it's been it's just been a little bit over 50 years uh since we the first landing on the moon right and I actually said this in a I said this in a different episode, um, but we've talked about this before. And so the Wright brothers flew, uh, had their first like sustained flight in the early 1900s, like 1903, 1906.
1: That was a famous duos episode. Definitely go check that one out. It was a great episode. It was a
0: good episode. Um, And uh, so they barely learned how to fly, like sustained flight for like, maybe a couple hundred yards in 1903 or 19, let's say 1906, right? So we landed on the moon in 1969. So in 60 years, 63 years, we went from flying a, a, a prop airplane, barely a hundred yards to landing on the moon in 60 years in one lifetime.
1: Yeah. That's crazy.
0: That's crazy. I mean, someone could have been 10 years old Whenever the Wright brothers... You know, they saw the Wright brothers flew, uh, you know, in the the newspaper. And then they could have been seven years old whenever they watched the lunar landing. Yeah. So, kind of crazy. I thought it was kind of crazy. That's so wild. Uh, the question is... Uh, there's a couple different theories of why we haven't gone back to the moon. And the more, the more political answers are, uh, you know, astronauts have said that the reason why they haven't gone back to the moon is because of, uh, you know political turmoil and, and, uh, nobody can, you know, nobody wants to spend the money and Congress is, you know, not whatever. And, and so it's, it's just, uh, they kind of blame it on like the political atmosphere. Right.
1: let's, Let's set aside the whole fact that the moon, the moon, uh, landing could have been a hoax all along.
0: Yeah. So supposedly when Trump was in office, he said in 2024, we'll have a man on the moon. Right? Oh, really? I didn't hear that. So, Spo- that's Space a, Force. Yeah, that's that's what he had said. But I don't know. I mean, that might be going backwards right now. I don't know. They were going to release a bunch of stuff. That was before COVID. Yeah, they were going <laughs> to release a bunch of stuff on UFOs too, but somebody blocked that. I won't well, mention th- who.
1: they did release something, but they said, "Oh, well, we don't know what it is. There's nothing out there. We have no idea what it is. There's something, yeah. but it's we don't know what it is." So, um uh
0: what we didn't know is uh, there is actually some lost footage, like you had said. Uh, there's some lost footage from the that fateful day on July 20th, 1969. So, um, and this is actually a report that was put out by NASA itself. I, I went through the whole report. It's like a 15-page report that explains what happened to these, these recordings, these tapes. And um, basically what it was, was whenever the Eagle Lander landed on the moon, and it it had a uh, a small camera that was attached to the inside of the door. That whenever the guys went out, like Neil Armstrong, and then whenever they went out of the thing, they turned on this camera, and that is the view that we have seen a million times on TV, right? Of the one small step for man, and the, you know all that different kind of stuff. So the camera was recording that moment um, w- whenever they uh, uh, whenever they stepped out, they turned the camera on and it was transmitting that raw footage back to earth. There was um, there was uh, engineers at three different tracking stations that were receiving... Um, the uh this this raw footage from over 250,000 miles away where
1: the moon is powered by a 9 volt battery by the way
0: yeah and so and we're going to talk about that too <laughs> um and so uh, basically they were receiving the um the transmission from this video camera and um it was called the uh the telemetry tapes and the quality of these tapes, the recording that they got was, they said that it was not the 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 blurry ghost-like image that we saw, the public saw on TV. The images that they saw and that they created this recording from, this uh, telemetry tapes, they were like crystal clear, perfect view uh, video of, of the landing and everything that happened, right? And so the reason why it was all pixelated and ghosty and everything else is because it had to be compressed for them to be able to run it live on TV. Um, And so they were recording the actual video to these telemetry tapes. And um, what happened was, let's say it says, although the NASA engineers knew um, that the scan converter would degrade the original picture quality, they decided that Uh, So that conversion to the TV quality, they knew it was going to be bad, but they thought that, hey, it was a necessary trade-off, we were going to have bad quality online, they're on the freaking moon, what are people sitting in their homes going to know the difference?
1: If it was too clear, people would be like, oh, this is fake.
0: Yeah, oh, they're sitting in a, you know, this is Californication, they're like uh, (laughs) making uh, moon landings in the basement, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In a Hollywood basement. (laughs) Um, So uh, NASA wanted to to, uh, shoot it live basically they wanted to show the people live. Um so uh, no one at the the tracking stations considered these differences of quality to really be that big a deal because the people that were watching it on the on the on the monitors at these tracking stations, they they weren't watching it on TV and so they didn't really realize that it was like that bad of a quality difference um and audio difference and all that other kind of stuff. So after the, the landing happened, after they got the footage, the engineers, they took the telemetry tapes. They boxed them up. It was these, this one-inch reel of telemetry tapes. Uh, it was, uh, um, they boxed them up and put them in 14-inch canister reels. And they really served no purpose other than to be like a, a backup to the video that had been compressed. Uh, but nobody knew that it was that big of a of a difference, the quality. Um, so what they ended up doing is they ended up packaging them up and they uh, shipped them to the Goddard Space Flight Center. Um, from there, the tapes were then sent to Washington National Records Center. In uh, they never got there the uh, then engineers never saw those backup tapes ever again. And so wh- where are we at present day? So NASA actually hired in, in present day, it's like a couple years ago, They hired an entire team to uh, of u s and Australian um, which is where the tapes were originally recorded in Australia. They hired a whole team of U.S. and Australia Apollo enthusiasts, as well as former NASA con- contractors and current agency employees to find these one-inch telemetry tapes. So, they had not only this recording on them, but they had a bunch of other stuff like calculations and and how things went and, and telemetry maps and all, all this different kind of stuff. Like, it wasn't just the recording. Um... So they hired this entire, like, group of people. They spent thousands of man hours trying to track down. They interviewed former NASA employees. They poured over memos and tracking of boxes and here and there, and they found a bunch of stuff, but they never found any of these tapes. So, uh, they're lost forever. And they just said, well, you know, we we can't find them. We can't find them. Air yeah. quotes. right? Yeah. So, that's kind of a that's kind of a precursor to you know just kind of the last part is is that the reason why we haven't gone to the moon again? Well, no, I I don't think so. That was just kind of a cool story that has a lot of the information.
1: Well, I heard that like they don't know the math. I find it hard to believe because we have all the computers now that can do math way faster than any human could do it back then. But like they've lost all the calculations, and and I've even read somewhere because I was kind of reading on this too that. uh they'll go to the junkyard and pick up old pieces from some of the Saturn V rockets and be like, we need to reverse engineer this because we don't know how to do this stuff. Yeah. And that's kind of what
0: I had written down second is um, that we didn't particularly lose like the the scientific or engineering knowledge, in fact, of building rockets, right? In fact, we've probably gotten smarter. we still got the rockets. Case. Yeah. Well, you know, a portion of it or whatever we do, but we've simply lost the ability to like manufacture those because, like you said, you know, it's powered with a power, nine-volt battery. And another thing is, is that it was they, a lot of the stu- A lot of the pieces were were handmade. I mean, they were like, like when it says it says um, there are better ways of doing things today. For example, um, uh, every single hole in the fuel injector plate, which there's hundreds of holes in the, the Saturn VF-1 engine, was drilled by hand. Individually drilled by hand and like Hmm. tapped and everything else, you know, to be to be what exactly it needed to be. Well, now they have like, you know, computer aided drill presses that would just sit here and like 3D print something and everything else. Materials are so different nowadays. But that handcrafted nature of what the original rocket ship was like, you would think that, oh, we have we have we can have so much tighter specifications now that would be easy to build. Well, the the metallurgy is has com- is completely different than it was, you know, 50 years ago, and things are lighter. Some things are heavier or smaller. They can do things smaller. You know, components aren't the same. The computer components that were on the ship, yeah, now you could probably fit it into
1: a a, 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 a well, handheld you, device. You've seen the. So one of the things that I was listening to about the Saturn, this, the early Saturn rocket launches, was like these guys were strapped in there, and when they were like launching up like they were so violently shaking like they couldn't even control their arms and like the entire panel was just like shaking incredibly violently so you look at that versus yeah. like when that tesla thing launched off and they have the the spacex just, yeah they just have like one big touchscreen thing and they're just like and sitting the guys there, are just sitting there yeah. you know and it's like all fine i'm like wow what a difference you know
0: yeah and so it's just it, it, it's crazy could we do it yes um you know could could we rebuild the pyramids today exactly how they are uh, or exactly how they were. Well, they did that in the
1: uh, Vegas, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, but. yeah, <laughs> we we could, but we'd have to reengineer everything. You'd yeah. have to, yeah. We could cut precise, right, laser cut angles like they did in the in the uh, the the tombs in Egypt in the, yeah. the pyramids. But we don't know how they did it. Yeah, you know, we can speculate and things like that. I mean, this was only fifty, sixty years ago that all this happened, but it was so kind of, it was such a sole focus that um you know in a lot of the stuff a lot of the the, the manufacture the the factories the manufacturers all this sort of kind of stuff after we got to the moon they were all repurposed for something else a lot of the technology and the, the 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 molds and the
1: forms and the jigs and everything that was used it was all thrown away. Also you know what's also another aspect of this too is that this was a very secret program. People didn't want to talk about this thing. And so they kept it very quiet because we were in a race with the Russians and so the secret nature of this there wasn't a bunch of just data sharing out there you know it's like this is open source technology you know this is very secret stuff and it's all on paper and then it gets lost or thrown away you know
0: or it gets wet or it gets degraded or it gets whatever yeah lost in the mail surprising that we still have nuclear energy i know (laughs) seriously so the last thing that i'll say and i saw i watched this nasa documentary one time and it took me forever to find this right but i remembered there was this one astronaut It said this line, uh, basically, and I'll read what his quote says. His name is Don uh, Petit, and he is a uh, a chemical engineer. He's an astronaut. He has had two long-duration stays on the International Space Station, and in 2021, at age 66, he is NASA's oldest astronaut, right? Hmm. He said, I would go to the moon in a nanosecond. This is quoting him. The problem is that we do not have the technology anymore. We used to, but we destroyed that technology, and it is a painful process to build it back.
1: Why did they destroy it? I don't know.
0: I think some of it has just been lost. Some of it's been been uh, it's uh, so re- secret. some of it's been repurposed. You know, a lot of like I said, the manufacturers, factories, manufacturers, all this kind of stuff, been completely repurposed. Um, it would look so much different nowadays that they wouldn't need half the stuff that they had before, and then. They they would have so much more digital and everything nowadays that it would almost make it too complex. They'd almost probably
1: overthink it,
0: and I just thought that was an interesting. Quote: How he's saying that we had that technology, but
1: we don't have it anymore. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, that's that's wild, man. Well, I have kind of another one of the technologies that I have. I'll I'll share this one first because it's kind of along the same vein as air travel. So you know. uh, this is uh, supersonic flights of commercial oh, airlines. Yeah, yeah. So in the nineteen seventies, uh the well, actually it started earlier. In the ni- after, the, after World War One, after excuse me, World War Two in, in the nineteen fifties, uh the British and the French were like, oh, we all of our aviation planes and stuff are all cargo ships and stuff like that. And they couldn't compete with the American Pan Am and stuff like that, the commercial flights that they had. So they were like Well, what are we going to do? We need to compete in this industry. So maybe let's do a supersonic, an uh, even faster commercial airline. Uh, And that way, all the Americans would want to buy up these planes. And so they started testing these planes in the early 1960s and in in the 70s. Early 70s, these uh, things came out. What they wanted to do is they created a plane called a Concorde. And this thing basically cut travel times if not in half, but better. So just to give you an example of how fast this thing went. So this was thing was built specifically for aerodynamics and to go uh, Mach 2.4. So 1,495 uh, 1, miles per hour. Wow. Compared to the regular commercial flights, 485 miles per hour. That's like three times faster. Yeah, so in some cases like significantly faster. So just to give you some comparison... A flight from Tokyo to San Francisco would generally take you about 15 hours. With a Concorde, took six hours. Lo- Los Angeles to Australia uh, typically 11 hours, seven hours with a Concorde. Uh, and then the, one of the most famous ones is the London to New York, uh, typically about eight hours. The fastest flight ever from London to New York was with from the Concorde and it was two hours and 52 minutes. Oh geez. They hit that wind stream. Oh yes. Hit something. Hit well, actually, that tailwind. The, the, jets, the jet stream would be coming the other way, but yeah, they hit something. Uh, they were just going like a bullet. Um, and So, so uh, do they, do they like fly really high or fly really? Uh, well, they fly. they I mean, I don't know exactly the altitude at which they fly. I think just standard altitude, uh, you know, but it's just like a, super but the, but they go super yeah. super fast um they like, literally the speed of a bullet mach 2.04 uh and so these things were kind of you, you can recognize them with the bent nose that a lot of them had that bent nose that was very characteristic and the reason why that is because when they took off they almost took off like they didn't take off on a like long runway where they just go and then they just barely glide off i mean they took off almost vertically and so uh, when you're landing, they had to have that bent nose, or else they would the pilots wouldn't be able to see. So that nose kind of bent down. Uh, that was one of the key characteristics of the Concorde. I
0: wonder if they had uh, like traditional like uh, seat belts, or if they had like five point harnesses, or something. I wonder if you could feel like you were going. Oh, I'm that I'm sure you fast. could. F- I'm sure you could feel the like the G's, the G's forces.
1: I'm sure you could. Uh, they said that inside it was not built for comfort side was kind of uncomfortable. And also it was kind of loud inside too. It was like the afterburners. I mean, they had afterburners. I mean, really, this is like a rocket almost. And it's like, they were, they were just so loud and it would shake. And even inside the the cabin, it was pretty loud. Um, and and so that there's a lot of reasons why this, this whole thing failed. So it started in in the seventies. Uh, they've spent $2.3 billion developing this entire project. Uh, and uh, so a couple reasons why it failed, well, first of all, there's the whole issue of the sonic boom. Um, sonic booms can be very loud, and let me actually think. I, typically, they're about 105 decibels, uh, a sonic boom is. And so there's laws where you can't do a sonic boom over land, has to be over water. So that kind of complicates uh, travel. And there's a bunch of people that were protesting it. They would they would show up with signs saying "Ban the Boom," you know. They didn't want to this, protect it. protect the seagulls, the noise yes. pollution, and yeah, and and also the planes burned a hundred tons of fuel in, in from London to New York trip, and it was like thought that this was going to damage the ozone layer. I mean, I, you know, there's w- just a lot of pushback on the fuel efficiency of that.
0: Side note on this. So when I lived in California, uh, we lived in uh, Orange County area and the airport that we flew in and out of was the Santa Ana Airport, John Wayne Airport is what it was called because he he lived and died in, in, in that area. And um, he, uh, well, side story about John Wayne, but we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll tell that another time. Um, but the the airport was like right in the middle of the city and it was right in the middle of a residential area. It was like, you know, you're driving, there's a Walmart, Walmart, and then there's like grocery store, airport. airport. <laughs> yeah. And so they didn't have any planes that left after 9.30. And so all flights are before 9.30. And whenever you took off, it was, they would always announce, they would say, hey, you know, because of the noise ordinance, we takeoffs going to be a little steeper than normal. And they would have to take off a lot more aggressively so that they could climb quicker so that they wouldn't bother like the whole entire and, yeah, Buzz, the whole neighborhood and everything else. So it'd just be like, I mean, it felt, it just felt like, yeah, it was kind of cool, right? It was just it felt like a more like, like yeah. they're going straight up versus
1: like a, yeah. no, I mean, not straight up, yeah, but yeah. a lot
0: steeper of a climb versus just the, the normal like increase. Yeah, that's which interesting. Which is kind of
1: cool. So, I mean, these people who were on a Concord, mostly it was business class people. Uh, because they could afford it. These tickets were expensive. I mean, it was, it, it was about um, let's see, I had to have, I had the price in here somewhere. It, I think it was about fifteen hundred bucks, uh, for like a round trip. I mean, it was oh well, round trips were more than five thousand dollars in nineteen eighty. Uh, about you know twelve thousand dollars more than a regular flight so very expensive <laughs> that's a lot yeah Yeah, and, so, and mostly business class people but even then it wasn't like a relaxing thing where you could just you know plug in your iphone in 1980 and just chill and play candy crush you're like freaking on a rocket ship man you're like shaking all the time have, and they it didn't it have noise canceling Bose <laughs> headphones yeah exactly uh so it, it was a little wild uh so the thing is is that you know, I told you the Brits and the French built these things, and they're like, hey, American Airlines, you guys they came to the American airline industry and said, hey, you guys interested in buying any of these? And they're like, nah, nah, it's kind of cost prohibitive. It doesn't really seem like it'll work out. So France bought seven, and the Brits bought seven. Uh, and so they bought seven each. And uh, they the Concorde kind of was cash flow negative for a while. Eventually it kind of became cash flow positive but uh, in the year 2000 there was a very high profile plane crash where 113 people died. Uh, they did an, It was a big deal. On one of these concord. On planes? On one of these Concorde planes and so they downed all the Concorde planes and they did an investigation. And they found out there was like a loose piece of metal that flew into the turbine and blew up the whole thing and uh, so they did uh, continue... They did go up after that, but uh you know nine eleven happened in two thousand one, and that just absolutely destroyed the airline industry and with the issues that they already had basically they they couldn't survive so in two thousand three uh the Concorde was officially retired um so interesting something interesting though to, that I wanted to share is that currently in today twenty twenty two now. Uh, there is a seems like it's st- March of 2020 still, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a Colorado company named Boom uh, that has developed a new supersonic jet. So NASA research programs and other you know uh, kind of research programs have optimized the airframes of these jets to be to lessen the supersonic boom to more of a thud. At seventy decibels, rather than the hundred and five decibels of the Concorde's sonic boom, so uh, this might allow for overland travel. Uh, So the interesting piece here uh, uh, that they, the United States, excuse me, United Airlines has announced it purchased fifty Boom uh, Overture, which I think is the name of the the airplane. Fifty of these airplanes. That's a big deal. Really? And they said that they're supposed to be carrying passengers by 2029. Hmm. So instead of hearing a boom over your house, you just hear a thud. And that's the that's thud, you know? Yeah, the supersonic thud.
0: That's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, but 2029, I mean, that's seven years from now. You think technology is going to advance another however much in seven years. We're, we're going to be on like the iPhone 67 yeah, at but that the, point. Yeah,
1: but the thing is that the, dude we're still driving these B-52 bombers and those are from like the 50s yeah. I mean this well, technology is, this technology is from the 70s you know but it's just about making it just ride, right, and then adoption and right time right place you know yeah. but maybe the Concorde was like the MySpace of its day yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> seriously the, the 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 preface of everything else it'd be interesting to see one of those Concorde flights like flying through the sky you know you see like a normal airplane like a oh, commercial yeah. airplane going and then you see this Concorde one it's going like three times as fast it's like oh, across yeah. the sky you'd be like oh that's that that'd be kind of yeah, cool yeah that'd be
1: wild I'd be, I mean that would have been cool to experience flying in one of those things yeah. if anybody listening has ever flown in a Concorde reach out to us we'd love to have you on we can talk yeah, to you yeah that'd be cool <laughs> that would be interesting so um, yeah, that was one of my lost technologies that hopefully is come back around. <laughs> yeah, that's cool.
0: Um, the, the next one that I had, and this was kind of a shorter one, um, but is, uh, the, we still have this item today, right? It can still be produced, but it's not, it's, it's more historic than anything, um, but the the lost technology that I'm going to talk about today is medieval plate armor, like uh, suits of armor. Yeah, right. So back in the medieval age, age you know the uh, 1200s and 1300s and, and stuff like that. Even before, I mean, this is people were wearing medieval type armor for hundreds. This, and, includes, hundreds this and hundreds of like years. this includes like Roman armor. Uh, yeah, maybe to a certain extent. Uh, I'm more talking You're about like knights in shining yeah, armor. Yeah. Um, but the the issue is that today we to this day we still do not know how they created plate steel back in um you know a thousand years ago
1: with a furnace and a hammer.
0: So yeah, you would think so, but. We cannot replicate that today. I mean, if we with modern tools, we can. Obviously, you know, we can. We have plate steel, you know, quarter inch thick. all these different thick thicknesses of steel and everything else. But because we have all this technology and all these big machines and everything else, that can do it. But how is one guy in a little blacksmith shop, you know, with a a, a with some with a coal fire, going to do this? And so basically, what I wanted to get into a little bit is first off, how is how is the steel that was used for these uh, this armor, knight's armor, how is it created? Um, and it evolved over time obviously, but basically a, a blacksmith would get iron ore rocks, just the, the iron ore rock that, that comes out of the ground and they would put it in a blast furnace. And that blast furnace would liquefy all of the impurities. It would get so 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 hot in there. It would liquefy all the impurities, and that would they would kind of melt away. And then they would pull out what's called this this bloom of of iron that has all of this like rock and all this other kind of stuff in it. And so they'd have to beat this bloom of iron and chip off all of these uh, impurities and everything else. They're just trying to get the just the raw Rot iron, mm-hmm. and so they they would do this, and they would they would get down to um, just the the iron, and they would create um, these little s- small bars of this iron out of these um, out of these balloons, and that's just iron. So then, what they would do with that little steel or that little uh, bar of iron is they would need to. Uh, carburize it is what they called it. And so they're adding in carbon and other materials and they're trying to create steel. But the thing is, is that they're doing this all in like small, small quantities. And so to create like a whole chest plate, you you have to have a lot of metal. And they're not just um, like, this isn't something where you can just, they're not like you know, pinning the metal together or gluing the metal together. I mean, it's... And they're not melting it down to where it's molten. Kind of mold, yeah. They're not molten, lo- molten steel and then pouring it into some kind of mold or anything like that. They had to, like, pound all this stuff out, which... How did their armor not look absolutely atrocious? Yeah. <laughs> how, how the heck did it not look... And, you know, but then we look back at it, it's all, like, perfectly shiny and everything else. And then even to the point of... I mean, it was it was such an art that armor... To make it lighter, it was thicker in the middle mm-hmm. of you know it, it over your the, the, your vital organ so it was thicker when you got close to the middle and then it actually tapered in thickness all the way out to the sides to where at the sides it was really pretty thin um, enough to stop maybe a arrow but not enough to you know, direct below of a of the point of a of, a, of an a, axe a, or something like that yeah, right and so I mean, it was just the craftsmanship on these things we still don't understand today the the craftsmanship that went into some of these large pieces of uh, of metal, because they created these. I mean, they would have had would have had to have a massive table size sheet to make some of these breastplates and everything's like that. How did they do that? It's yeah, um, interesting.
1: Yeah, and so it was just and some of them are very ornate. I mean, you, they oh, had yeah. some leftovers from like the you know France and, and England. They leftover armors. And, yeah, and, very, there's, very and there's
0: no seams. And if you get into blacksmithing and stuff, you have, oh, well, you have like forge welding and you have all these different types of strategies for bringing stuff together. But, you know, all of that, all of that technology is potentially newer technology that didn't exist back then. Or the metal that we are dealing with today is so much more pure anyway than the metal that they were dealing with, basically pounding metal out of rocks, yeah. which is what we do today, but we have such more of a refined process that we can get whatever we want. Um it's so crazy. that's kinda like the lost tech is 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 the the skill craft because we don't need to make armor like that and blacksmiths or yeah you know, what do you need blacksmiths for nowadays except for like I don't know competition horse- shows <laughs> on <laughs> Com- Discovery Channel. <laughs> yeah, or when you go to Colonial Williamsburg and you go like uh, yeah. you know, or whatever else. Maybe horseshoes and different yeah. things. I mean, I think it's an awesome skill and in industry but it's just kind of dying out cuz it's not as needed. Mhm. Also
1: Damascus steel is another one yeah. where they don't know how Damascus steel was created, you know, the 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 formation of that, I mean there's something that exists today called Damascus steel, but it's not real Damascus steel. Damascus steel was almost like valerian steel or something like yeah. that. It was just so rare and they don't know how they got made that so strong. Um kind of like the lost arts of like uh you know, samurai sword making and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, you know? stuff that just isn't necessary anymore because it's not. It's kind of, it's not useful anymore. Mm-hmm. It's more of just like culture. Yeah, and so it's just kind of lost. I mean, there's maybe I think there's only, I think there's like, there's one guy in Japan that does. Um, he's a ninja, mm-hmm. right? And he and he, uh, practices this ninjutsu and all that sort of kind of stuff. Well, he's like there's one guy and he has like two students and that's like the last like the last known ninja that ever exists right Samurai. in that culture and stuff like that. I mean, it's it, Samurai's a little bit different, but yeah, it's like it's just stuff
1: just kind of over the years just bleeds out. Aren't ninjas from China? Samurais are from? Maybe. I don't know. Japan. We did the episode on Ancient Warriors. Yeah, I know Samurai. I know samurais are from Japan. I don't know. If maybe ninjas are China. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so... Yeah, that, also another one I found was the Stradivarius uh, violin. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that the sound works, people have not been able to replicate that. Um, I probably don't have a an ear that's a 2 be able to tell to the difference. difference but difference, but uh, I think only a few people probably do in this world. Uh, but anyway, one of the technologies I had, something similar, well, a few thousand years earlier, uh, was Greek Fire. you probably heard of this. Yeah. So this is one of the most famous lost technologies, uh, which would basically it was like... Isn't p- that what, Tyrion Lannister? Oh, was that oil he just put in the... Yeah, that was like... Yeah, was this was a little bit different. It was kind of like napalm. Uh, they used it in a couple different manners. Uh, they had grenades. They, were the ba- they would basically make like Molotov cocktails. They would pour it into these glass jars, uh, and they would just chuck them with... And inside the glass jars, they would have like nails and like spikes and stuff. Was it a powder or a liquid? It was uh, a liquid. Uh, they also had, they made these these big bronze uh, tubes or siphons on their boats uh, that, would, that would be able to blow out this thing almost like a flamethrower. And they even had like a mobile version where you could walk with it on your back and you could kind of use it as a flamethrower. But the thing is, is that with that kind of a thing, it doesn't have a, as good that, of distance, you know what I mean? But uh, the apparently this was uh, most famously used in two battles to defend against the Arab invaders into Constantinople during the 11th century. Uh, so it, this was, weapon was used by the uh, Byzantine or Byzantine Empire, uh, and it was, like I said, used in a variety of different ways. And there are also the, the thing is that the Arabs, uh, they eventually learned kind of h- how to evade this. I mean, it wasn't it as cool, but it wasn't like that cool because it was just like, oh, we'll just keep our distance, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like, and it, it, just because you, you know, someone was using this on your ship didn't mean your entire ship was going to burn down. Um, it wasn't like a, a ship destroyer, like, f- fact, you know. Uh, like, they're, at the time, they also had, like, ship rammers. Like, they would be these big ships that would just ram your ship. And that would that was a ship destroyer. This wouldn't necessarily destroy your ship, but it was caused some issues and was kind of a, a unique technology.
0: I remember seeing, and maybe this is just in the movies, but when they would throw water on Greek fire, it would just make it flame up even more. It was like
1: it was like throwing water on a grease fire or something. Yeah, so that's another aspect of to it that people. There have been a lot of speculation about what it was. People say maybe it was like a gunpowder, maybe it was like something like this, but if. You threw water on like a gunpowder, then it would go out. So, really, what they theorize it to be is a cocktail of a uh, mixture of petroleum uh, and other chemicals, possibly quicklime, nitre, and sulfur. So, if petroleum's burning, you know, the oil is going to burn on top of the water. And so, they think that, you know, it maybe is a mixture of that that they would just put out and then. You know, burn people alive, and you know, who, who knows? Interesting, but you know, kind of crazy. We've it's interesting if you look back at history, whoever's had the highest technology typically has won the war. You look at, you know, the the raid on the Roman Empire, uh, from I think it was the the Ottoman Empire when they toppled the Roman Empire, uh, at I think it was Constantinople as well. Uh, they had these giant cannons, uh, that. They basically fat they they created and it was a new technology and they blasted the the walls down that historically had never been destroyed, uh, and then you get other civilizations, you know, us with the nuclear bomb, or you know the the, the Nazis actually were very technologically advanced and and uh, you know or with their tanks and stuff flying drones around yeah us with drones in Afghanistan or Iraq. Uh, Although we did lose that war, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you think about or this war with this um, this type of a thing, or, or I think we talked once about the uh, there was a, a I think I talked about once weird technologies, weird military weapons where there's like these big levers that would just like smash the ships that were on the walls of the yeah. castles yeah, and yeah. stuff. And so it's interesting when you go back and you look at all the technology. I mean, the Civil War, you know, the Gatling gun and the different rifles and the rifles that won the West and you know, all this kind of stuff. Or the Zulu warriors, you know, that fighting with cowhides and, <laughs> and, and spears and stuff against the soldiers, uh, the British soldiers. Anyway, kind of a cool thing. And so technologies are always interesting. And this was one that was lost to the history books. Yeah, sometimes they just kind of phase out. And I think sometimes like...
0: I mean, they'll come back, right? This, this, the supersonic uh, Jet, uh, yeah. jets, right? That is coming, making a comeback, you know, eventually. I think, uh, I mean, even right now, just space travel in general and with the whole SpaceX thing and uh, Jeff Bezos creating his company. And it's just kind of the, the, the next frontier, really. The final frontier, I believe. Well, maybe, maybe.
1: I mean, what's, what's on the other side of the space? I don't know. Yeah. Well, it just goes and goes. Yeah. Well, so anyway, the, this these have been interesting. There's there's so much out there. So the lesson here is write in your journal. Yeah. <laughs> be be specific. Write take good notes. Pass them down to your kids, and uh, you know, pass on the pass on that knowledge. Because if you don't record it, it's going to get lost.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's, so. that's that's a great takeaway from this. how I am. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's use that takeaway. Let's uh, build our creed together. Let's do it. All right.